This is Geek Gab. This is Geek Gab with your host, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, June 23rd, 2018. This is episode 145. 145 episodes of this awesome, awesome, awesome show. And today we are going to be talking about Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, and probably because that's how it works around here, hitting some other things up along the way. So yesterday I braved the thick, thick crowds at my local Metroplex to go see the latest in the long line of Jurassic Park movies. There have been now, including this one, a total of five films in this groundbreaking franchise. If uh, you remember Jurassic Park 1, when it came out, lo, those many, many, many years ago. It was when originally planned, and it came out in 1993. Those of you who are good with math can do the math. For the rest of you, 1993 was 25 years ago. All right, Jurassic Park came out 25 years one week ago, one week, four days ago. And it was groundbreaking because for the very first time in a major blockbuster movie, they successfully used computer animation to produce all of the dinosaurs for the movie. It's computer animation on a scale that had never been done before. And when they went, and I watched this in a making up for Jurassic Park. When they went to make the movie, they brought in uh, stop motion spectacular um, artist. I believe it was Ray Harryhausen that they brought in. And he did some test footage for the dinosaurs. And as with all stop motion, it was a little bit jerky. Even the upgraded techniques that they had developed shortly before, which they called go motion, it was still jerky. Then Industrial Light and Magic showed Steven Spielberg, who was directing the movie, the test footage that they could do with dinosaurs. And it was phenomenal. It was mind-blowing. And the comment by the stop-motion guy was that he knew that he was seeing the end of his entire uh, art form. That computer graphics were the wave of the future and that stop-motion was on its way out. Now, some of you may not know what stop motion is. It's where you have a metallic skeleton of a puppet covered 
with, uh, they also call it claymation, covered with uh, silicone flesh. And you move this thing just a tiny little bit, take one frame, expose one frame of film. Then you move it just a tiny little bit and expose another frame of film. Uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas is a very, very famous movie that was made with stop motion. So this movie was a landmark in computer animation. And it was only barely possible. Again, I'm trying to remember the making of documentary, which I haven't watched for years. But if I remember right, they had to farm out uh, rendering to computer uh, or special effects houses all over just to get it done in time. Because in order to produce the computer models, your computer has to actually go through, paint all the you know polygons, stick all the textures on it, and do that for every single frame. And it was pushing the technology of 1993 to its limits. And you got that was 12 iterations of Moore's Law ago. Now, Moore's Law originally says that the number of transistors in a computer chip doubles every year and was swiftly reformulated to mean that the computing power available to any one processor, any one CPU, doubles every year. So, you know, if in 1993 you have a computing processor of one, in 1995 it's a computing processor of two, in 1997 it's a computing processor of four, in uh, 1999 it's a computing processor of eight, in, in 2001 it's a computing processor, relatively speaking, of, you know, 16, 32, so on and so forth. So 12 iterations of that doubling, 12 iterations of that cycle between then and now. So it was only barely possible then, and as computers have gotten more and more powerful, and as effects houses have, have spread, I mean, you look at the movies that were done recently, like <laughs> Marvel's Avengers Infinity War, uh, the Justice League movie, um, on and on and on. They depend heavily on computer animation, and it's gotten really, really good. The difficulty for Hollywood, the challenge for Hollywood, is that computer animation has gotten so good, has gotten so brilliant, that beautiful computer animation is now the assumed standard. In 1993, audiences were blown away by Jurassic Park. And they were also blown away a couple of years later, in 1995, by a movie called Toy Story from Pixar, entirely computer animated. They claim it's the very first entirely computer animated feature length movie. The And if you compare Toy Story from 1995 to Pixar's latest, The Incredibles, or even Coco, you will notice how dated. Toy Story does look. It looks very, very simple. The environments look very plain. The textures are not very complex. The characters don't move very much. 
And I'm not saying this to knock the movie. I'm just saying that as a computer animated film, as time goes on, it begins to look worse and worse in comparison with the cutting edge. The cutting edge has advanced so far that audiences are no longer wowed the way they were in 1993, the way they were in 1995. They're no longer, you know, minds blown. That's just the greatest thing ever. And I blame the Lord of the Rings in, uh, you know, 2000, 2001, so on and so forth, which was such amazing, gorgeous cinematography, much of which that was not computer animated. Everything they could do some other way, they did, like Minas Tirith. The city, the glowing city that is uh, attacked and besieged um, in the second film, The Two Towers, Minas Tirith is actually a massive miniature. Uh, you know, if, if, if your language stretches to uh, include a miniature that was 11 feet tall or something, um, it is, it was a brilliant movie that at the time, really was mind-blowing and, and spectacular. And that set the bar for special effects and cinematography so high that blew audiences' minds so much that after that, special effects, computer animation, whatever, stopped being impressive. To the audience, they only notice special effects really when they're bad. When they notice that they look terrible or that they look unrealistic, they look fake. They don't notice and really give much credit for special effects that look phenomenal, that look great. And I'm not criticizing the audience for this. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying the audience needs to educate themselves on the difficulties of producing special effects. And by gum and by golly, give credit where it's due. Not saying that. What I am saying, and this is the challenge that's facing Hollywood, is that special effects, the standard for them, is so high and people don't care about them and so audiences once again are left with a razor sharp focus on the one thing that technology can't improve and that is writing story Characterization, themes. It is, uh, by the way, Minas Tirith, Battle for Minas Tirith was in Return of the King. Uh, Battle for Helm's Deep was in uh, Two Towers. Sorry about that. Thanks, Jackson Anderson, in our ever informative and awesome chat. Um, story is what matters now. If you think about the effects-laden science fiction comic book fantasy films of, let's say, the last decade, which happens to coincide with the Marvel, the rise of the Marvel juggernaut, what audiences respond to, by and large, is story. 
And when audiences find a movie unsatisfying, it's because there were deep problems in the script that went back before they even started storyboarding. Deep problems in the story. So what I'm telling you, in reference to Jurassic World, the lot excuse me, Jurassic World, the Forgotten Kingdom, I keep on getting that mixed up. Apologies. Um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is that for all of the special effects work on display, and it is, you know, by and large, incredibly well done. For all of the dinosaurs that are in a scene with a human being interacting, for all of the cleverness and skill of combining, let's say, a fake claw that's on the end of a rod with computer-animated dinosaur, for all of the technical prowess on display, and they do a good job with the special effects. I didn't have any complaints. I didn't notice them at all, which means they were well done. For all of that, what is going to cause this movie to sink and swim is whether or not the audience liked the story. Not even whether or not critics liked the story really matters anymore, except in a few rare cases. What the audience thinks of the story. So currently on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it's got a 50% from critics, and it has a 62% rating from the audience, which is a fairly lukewarm response. So I've got, you know, of course, my trusty notepad right here, upon which in the dark, I scrolled notes as I was watching the movie. Um, and we can talk about the story and dismiss all the other technical details because they don't really matter. Now, this is a good thing, honestly. I think it's a good thing. That story is what matters now in movies because that puts movies on the same level as books and other things. And people who can write great stories in an ideal universe where Hollywood was running on talent and impact and not running on politics, in an ideal world, that would mean the best storytellers would rise to the top and not people who punched their cards for politics. Um, so let's uh, talk about the story of Jurassic World Forgotten Kingdom. This is the thing you have to realize about the Jurassic Park movies. All of them, really, at their core, all these movies are zombie flicks with dinosaurs. Okay? You take a zombie movie, take out all the zombies and put in dinosaurs, 
and everything is exactly the same. By that I mean, in a zombie movie, you have some nice human settlement outside of which are zombies. The humans get in a bunch of conflicts with each other. Because of that, the zombies get in, people get eaten, the heroes maybe escape usually, and the movie's over. Jurassic Park. You had people in the park. Nedry did some bad stuff. The zombies got out. The dinosaurs got out. People got eaten. The heroes got away. Zombie movie. Okay? If you look at all of these... So, so you know what you're getting. You know what to expect when you get these movies. Um... I just, here's the problem. I, this movie, there were plenty of high action moments, but the story was really eye rolling. And, and I'm going to have to call a spoiler on this. This movie, so spoiler warning, sorry, maybe a big one, maybe a small one, depending on who you are. This movie depends on nostalgia for the previous movies for its impact. In Jurassic Park, they're in a vehicle that gets thrown into a tree, and they have to climb down the tree, and the vehicle falls and lands on the ground, and the funny line from the kid is, well, we're back in the car again. So if you remember that movie, remember that beaten up truck whose tire was eaten at by a giant T-Rex. At one point in the movie, Chris Pratt's character charges into a clearing. And there on the other side of the clearing is that vehicle. It's just been sitting there. For however long in the cinematic universe, let's say 25 years. It's been sitting there for 25 years. That exact truck with the old Jurassic Park logo on it, people who haven't seen the first movie might not remember it. I do. I saw it. I remember it. It's just there for nostalgia. Now, they actually do some creative things with it. I'm not saying that. It's cheap or lousy what they did. But, and I'm slowly edging my way around to the story. So in Jurassic World, the two kids were tooling around the park in a giant bubble car. And at one point, they had to get out of the bubble car and flee. Well, in Jurassic World Lost Kingdom, they're running through the island, and they come upon that exact same bubble car. And it featured... In the trailers, so if you saw the trailers, you know it's there. And they travel in that bubble car to get off the island, to get away from the volcanic explosion. There's a volcanic eruption that's sending lava down across the island that's going to wipe out the dinosaurs. And supposedly the heroes are there to capture the dinosaurs so they can be taken to a new sanctuary so they can be saved. They can preserve these endangered species. Nostalgia. Plastic bubble car from Jurassic World. 
crashed car from Jurassic Park 25 years ago. And here's the biggest bit of nostalgia of all. And I apologize, but just for this little bit, I'm going to have to spoil something about the movie. What this movie really is, at its core, its story, is a remake of The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Now, if you remember The Lost World Jurassic Park, came out in 1997, again, directed by Steven Spielberg, was not as popular as the first movie because people didn't really like the story. And the story was, if you remember, a bunch of hunters on the island who capture the dinosaurs, put them in cages, and take them to the mainland where they eventually escape and eat a bunch of people. So this movie, its plot, is about a bunch of hunters in cocky clothing, in trucks, who go to the island and capture a bunch of the dinosaurs, 11 species, put them in cages, put them on a ship, take the ship back to the mainland where the dinosaurs escape and eat a lot of people. Now, you have got... I'm not shading that. In any way. I'm not making that up. I'm not making it look bad by glossing over certain plot points. And there are differences. But it's basically a remake of the second Jurassic Park movie. And take that for what it's worth. Now, as a remake, it's better than Jurassic, the Lost World Jurassic Park. They did better this time. Oh, and by the way, this shouldn't be surprising either, because the last movie, Jurassic World, was actually a remake of Jurassic Park. They just added more crowds. So this movie continues the trend. What I'm really hoping for is that the third Jurassic World movie isn't a remake of the third Jurassic Park movie, which was terrible. This movie as a remake of Jur the Lost World Jurassic Park is better than the Lost World Jurassic Park, although there are a couple of eye-rolling things about it. And the story doesn't necessarily make all that much sense. It's got enough action that most teenagers aren't really going to care. Um, it's got enough action to make it worthwhile for most people. And it has enough action and is well enough done to make it 
just barely worthwhile for me. I watched it. I'm. It was okay. I wouldn't watch it again. And if it weren't for the fact that I was going to see it because of this show, I would say it's worth watching on, uh, worth watching for, you know, whatever dollar theaters around you. Um, go see it for three or four bucks, run it at Redbox, watch it on Netflix or HBO or whatever. So on the scale that I introduced a, free we a few weeks ago, which is so bad it's bad, so bad it's good, really bad, bad, meh, good, great, amazing, I want to marry this movie and have its little babies. On this scale, this movie is just above meh and just below good. It, Depending on my mood, I might actually say it was, it was a good movie. Um, so here's the problem is the story is cliched the characters constantly do stupid things so the next plot sequence can happen just absolutely idiotic things that no human being would really do um they take the main hero, Chris Pratt's character, and instead of making him look heroic, which he really is, he's really heroic. He's willing to brave his life, to brave death, to do what he needs to do to save people. They stick in a bunch of moments where he's basically doing slapstick, or they're making fun of him, or they're, you know, Dragging him down. I think movies have forgotten, or movie makers have forgotten, that in adventure movies, we want the hero to be heroic. We want to admire him. We want to like him. We want to be impressed by what he does. We want him to be put in impossible situations, even if we know he's going to triumph. We want him to be put in impossible situations that he overcomes in a clever and unexpected way. If what happens is entirely what you expect, you get bored. If you make the hero look lame, then the movie doesn't hit with the force it should as an adventure movie. Now, there are lots of different types of movies out there. They don't have to follow this formula. Not Comedies don't have to all be like this. I mean, let's take Ghostbusters, for example, a phenomenal movie, but the guys in it, the four main characters, they're, they're schlubs. They're not heroes. But an adventure movie and an action adventure movie you want your heroes to be heroic, and when your script constantly dumps on the hero, it ruins the impact. I don't know if these writers think that it's cheesy to have a hero in their movie. I don't know if the writers think that 
it's too old-fashioned or it's wrong or whatever. I don't care. They just have forgotten how to make a great adventure movie, a great action movie. And the key to a great action movie is that your action movie star has to be doing awesome things. They can have moments of vulnerability. They can have moments of awkwardness. But you can't make them look like an idiot. And this movie constantly makes all its characters look like idiots. Everyone looks like idiots. Not all the time. He's still allowed to do some, you know, great things. But most of the time, or much of the time, they're just really making fun of him. So the story, and that's what I started talking about this talking about this movie at the start of the show, was with the importance of story. And that's where this movie fails, falls down. Yes, it's better than The Lost World Jurassic Park. But it's still not as great as it could be. And it's not going to be a great and legendary movie that's remembered. Like, say, Predator right? Or the Bruce Willis Die Hard. Um, these are movies with a great hero who, even if they have moments of vulnerability, even if they're wisecracking and there's humor, they never made fun of the character. And they make fun it's asked in the uh, chat what the character's name is. Chris Pratt's character, his name is Owen Grady. Um, they make fun of Owen Grady all the time. So the character's motivations don't make sense. Their actions don't make sense. They've got the really, really annoying riot girl power character who's just obnoxious, who puts down men all the time just because she does and the script never makes fun of her she's she's not worshipped she's not the center of the movie everyone doesn't circle her and bow down to her she's still a side character so they haven't gone that far wrong but she's shown to be competent and tough and i don't know that she fails at anything the entire movie it's obnoxious, but it's just a little bit obnoxious. The movie has an unsatisfying plot because it's obvious you know what's coming. You can see what's coming. All of the bad guys get their comeuppance, but in order to get their comeuppance, they have to act like idiots. All the heroes manage to overcome, but in order to get to their overcoming, they act like idiots a lot of the time. And like the worst zombie movies made by George Romero, in the end, when it's a choice between humans and the zombies who are eating the humans, or in this case, because that's what I said at the beginning of the show, the Jurassic Park movies are basically zombie movies with the zombies taken out and dinosaurs put in. 
In this movie, it's about humans versus dinosaurs who eat them. Like the worst parts of his oeuvre, this movie comes down on the side of the dinosaurs. And I'm not going to spoil the conclusion, the climax. But the movie comes down on the side of the dinosaurs and not on the side of the people. Um, although the heroes, the two leads, um, which is Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, the two leads make the right decision, but the movie still uh, undermines that and comes down on the side of the dinosaurs. So it's an okay movie, deep flaws in the story. Uh, an unwillingness to rise to the level of true action and adventure, an unwillingness to tell, tell a strong masculine action adventure story that appeals to the audience, men and women. Indiana Jones appeals to men and women. An inability to commit to action and adventure dooms the movie to being mostly forgettable and only barely watch worth watching just above a man just below a good um so take that as the qualified recommendation that it is it's an okay movie it's not a great movie if that's what you're up for if you you know want to see that great it's all over for you there it is i wish in this new era where audiences have moved beyond special effects I wish in this new era where storytelling is the most important thing, your script or how the script evolves while you're shooting or how the script evolves while you're editing it, because that's where the stories are really made in the editing booth. I wish Hollywood would get the balls, get the gumption to make great action-adventure movies again without throwing sops out to people who hate action-adventure movies. Don't try to appeal to an audience that doesn't like your movie. Know who your audience is. Make a great action-adventure movie. Commit to it. And your movie's going to turn out much, much better. It is the era of story and the fact that hollywood has not woken up to that and not addressed problems in their production uh process their production assembly line is troubling and honestly i don't see it changing anytime soon that's the difficulty um let me glance through the chat. I don't, uh, we don't actually have any questions this week. So let's run it down. This is Geek Gab, youtube.com slash Geek Gab. It's been episode 145 on Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Saturday, June 23rd, 2018. I want to thank everyone who's listening to the show later. Thank everyone who is here and live and in the chat including my uh, jet-lagged co-host, Doranal, who has just come back from the exciting and exotic subcontinent of India that just returned to the United States. I want to thank everyone tuning in and remind you, uh, subscribe, 
click the upvote, click the little bell icon to double secret subscribe to get the announcements of this video so you can come and hang out in the chat with all the great, 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 amazing, and intelligent and sexy people who listen to the show. You can find the show in addition to youtube.com slash geekgab. You can find us on the Google Play Store. You can find us on the iTunes Store. And you can find us on soundcloud.com. Just do a search for Geek Gab. You can subscribe to the podcast and listen to the show on the device of your choosing at your leisure. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are signing off for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.